Welcome to Dig Deeper, MindEdge Learning's occasional podcast on critical thinking and creativity in the digital age. Our guest today is Lloyd Schwartz. Lloyd is the Frederick S. Troy Professor of English at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, and also an acclaimed poet and biographer. Lloyd is also Senior Editor for Classical Music at New York Arts and the winner of the 1994 Pulitzer Prize in Criticism when he was reviewing classical music for the late lamented Boston Phoenix, also my alma mater. Lloyd, welcome. I'm glad you can make some time to talk to us today. Thank you. I'm happy to do that. The topic of this podcast is creativity, which is sometimes kind of a slippery concept to get your arms around. We've talked with folks in the past about creativity as a soft workplace skill, talked about it as one of the things that distinguishes people from advanced automation, and therefore, you know, one of the things that might keep you from losing your job to a robot in the future. Uh, but today, uh, we want, we're going to try to get a little bit closer to the, the general idea of creativity. Now, Lloyd, you are one of the most creative people I know. So I would, I would ask you just to start. How do you define creativity? What is it? We're born into a world. There's, there's a given. It's our background. It's our family. It's where we live. And we can either be satisfied with the status quo or we can try to change it, try to adapt ourselves to something, try to find something new in that status quo that makes living more vivid and more exciting and more meaningful than simply accepting what is already there. I'm an English teacher and I teach creative writing. My great friend and one of the truly great American poets was Elizabeth Bishop. She had a handout that she gave to her writing class, the, the, the heading of which was words not to use if you want to write well. And one of them was creative uh, because it's such a it's become such a cliche and creative writing sometimes isn't very creative. Sometimes it means just developing a, the same skill that everyone whoever wrote before you has already developed. And I don't want my students to be creative in that way. I really want them to find their own voice, find their own place in the you know, say in the history of, of writing, in the history of poetry. I mean, maybe they're not going to be great poets. Some of them, I think, already are. Uh, they're amazingly talented and amazingly creative because they do, they're not going to write someone else's poems. They're not going to write Keats's poems or Elizabeth Bishop's poems or anyone else's poems, but their own. I think there are some creative writing programs that actually don't encourage students to be creative in that way. And I think that's sad and it's not what I, what, what I want to do. People say, can you give someone talent that they don't have? And that's always hard, that's always hard to answer. I mean, I'm mostly dealing with young, younger, talented writers and I know I can make them better writers. Can I make them geniuses? You know, maybe not, probably not. But I can certainly 
what I know how to, what I think I know how to do as a teacher, and certainly what I try to do as a teacher, is to find out or, or help my students find out what it is they have to say, what they can contribute to what's already out in the world. And, and to look at what's out there critically and say, well, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. And, you know, one way to start is try to make people aware of the cliches that they use and th say, well, you can't say that hits the nail on the head because five million people have already said that. How do you, you know, what do you want to say? What do you mean by that? And how do you say it? You know, how do you say it in your own words? How do you find your words to say what other people have said, and what does that add to what other people have said? There's a famous line of Alexander Pope's in his essay on criticism, 18th century, great English poet, and he, he said, good writing is what oft was thought but ne'er so well expressed. And that's a good place to start, but you know, I think also if you find the new way of saying something, even the new way of saying something old, you're adding to what was old. You're making something new and a little different and a little more your own. Okay, now Lloyd, you are getting closer to another question I have, which is, is creativity a, a gift or, or is it a skill? It, uh, is it something I could just be, that can just be taught or at least encouraged? Some people have a feeling that you know creativity is just this gift of inspiration or something. Yeah, well, that's sort of what I meant. That 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 it's possible to learn how to be more inspired, and whether that makes you an inspired writer or an inspired thinker, we we each have our our own personal limitations that we're born with, and and maybe genius is something is is something else that we can't learn. But you can learn to you can learn to be creative. I, I, I have I actually have no doubt about that, and that it has some, and that it has something to do with really with being more aware and making yourself more aware of what's already out there. And then if you're focusing on changing what's already out there on your input, your unique input. To what's already out there, that that's being pretty creative, and it and it means, it really means sort of being aware of possibilities that you hadn't thought of before. And anyone can be more aware of possibilities that they hadn't thought of before. And if someone's a good teacher, they could help bring that out. Uh, but it doesn't have to be a professor. It could be your mother or your partner or your child or, you know, a panhandler who says something to you that makes you think, oh, that's more interesting than I thought that was going to be. Uh, now, it might be possible that with so many new forms of digital expression, whether it's, you know, Twitter, which, you know, some people uh, recently have been using in very creative, sometimes kind of, you know, distressing ways. Uh, but uh, do these new digital means of expression offer up new avenues for creativity? 
Well, it, it, it has, in fact, and, and um, you know, we, a couple of years ago, um, we, the English department at UMass Boston hired a new poet, and we wanted someone who was more kind of with it, in a way, to give our students some of the new ideas and, and, and digital poetry. I don't entirely understand it myself, but, it, but it, it's a thing, and my students know about it, and great that we have someone who is actually, can actually articulate uh, what that means and how to do it and, and how to do it better than they're already, than they're already doing it. So it, 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 in, even in the academic world, that's really something is being transformed, something is responding to all that digital information and all that other new, not only new information, but new kinds of information and new ways of conveying it. Now, Lloyd, you, uh, you teach creative writing, obviously, and all of your students are, at least in theory, you know, trying to be creative. Uh, is there a moment when you can look at a student and say, ah, she has really got it, I can tell? Or is it just something that evolves over time? Can I tell you a story? This is one of my favorite stories. So this goes back a few decades. A student applied to my advanced poetry workshop and very skillful. And he was someone who wrote in mostly sonnets, uh, very elegant, very um, sophisticated, very traditional. I think they were mainly love poems to all of his girlfriends, which there seemed to be an unlimited number, and, 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 and rightly so, a, you know, good-looking guy, tough guy, and who had obviously read a lot of literature. And um, these poems were not interesting to me at all, but he was—he clearly had a way with words, as as one might have said, uh, probably shouldn't. <laughs> and he d certainly deserved to be in in the class. And he is writing these poems, and they're they're clever, they're they're skillful, and to me they're not very interesting. And I. I didn't know how to, I couldn't really figure out how to make him get beyond that. And I thought, maybe he couldn't get beyond that. Comes into class one day with a new poem, and it's just one of the more, one of the fancier versions of the same thing that he's been writing all semester. And there are two young women in the class, we're all sitting around the table, and he starts to read this poem, and these two young women in the class get the giggles. They think this stuff is the silliest stuff they have ever encountered, that it was, it just reached a point where they just couldn't take it seriously. And John is clearly very upset by this response to his skillful exercises and is mortified and he slams his notebook shut and just storms out of the classroom. So this tough guy, there are soft spots that, you know. So a few days later, he comes to my office and apologizes. 
and says, you know, I'm sorry I lost my temper. I, you know, I, you know, I have some family problems, but I, 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 I was not having a good day. And I'm, you know, I'm a writing teacher, and I say, well, is, is there, there anything you want to, anything you want to talk about? You know, just what's happening with you? And he says, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. My brother's in jail. And then it all comes pouring out. And it's a, it was a really painful story. And obviously, I totally believed him that he, you know, because this wasn't, I expected him, him to be this tougher soul. And, um, but I'm hearing what he has to say, and I'm a writing teacher. And I said, well, have you ever thought about, write about, you know, this is what you're feeling, what you're going through, what your family is going through. Nah, nah, that's not, can't write poetry about that. I said, well, you know, maybe you should try something, you know, just writing can be a form of therapy and get it off your chest and maybe that'll help. Just help make it easier to deal with. So he doesn't come to the next class. And then a few days after that, I come to my office and there's a little manila envelope under my door shoved into my office. And I open it up and it's a bunch of poems by John about visiting his brother in jail. And suddenly all these kind of pretty little things that are in his, in these silly but skillful love poems. We know what the bars look like, the bars in the jail. We know what's reflected in them. We know what's behind them. We hear the sounds of people walking down a, a corridor or the sounds that the prisoners are making. All these poetic, and poetic isn't the right word, but all the things that he could do in these love poems suddenly become part of real life. And these are marvelous poems, powerful, moving, but also beautiful because he's a really skillful poet. And he comes back to class and I say, you know, we have, there's an Academy of American Poets Prize Every year, the Academy of American Poets gives us a hundred bucks. Uh, we get someone from outside the university to judge them. I said, I think you should submit these poems. And of course he won. And I think it just totally changed the way he wrote or what, what he even thought he, he could write. And he was creative, as it turned out. He needed someone, something to encourage him to make, what does it mean to make a poem? What, you know, is it just a kind of escapist something or can you write great poetry? Yes, you can. Dealing with truly painful, personal, powerful things that you have to, that people have to deal with. And I think he became a great poet. I think he became a wonderful poet and a real poet, and a very creative poet, because he was finally finding the subject matter to make him a really good poet, not just a skillful, not just writing, doing skillful needlework. So it seems what you're saying is that to promote creativity in the student, you're looking for a way to connect the talent to the material, is that right? Yeah. 
I mean, and that, of course, that's what you, one wants, to, if you're a teacher, that's what you want to do. I, you know, that happened a long time ago. I still remember the story. Yeah. And I, you know, I probably couldn't tell you as good a story about something that happened, you know, last semester. But that's being creative. I mean, I think I was creative in a way, in a kind of basic way of, of you know, just trying to get him to think in, in, in different terms, but he was the really creative person who, who could take his skill and connect it with what he really cared about. You know, and, and, and the, the, the great artists, you know, from, from, from Homer on, are really the, you know, the writers and the painters and the musicians who have found their subject. And, and, then, and then do something, you know, do something with it. Okay, now this is something, Lloyd, that you're, you're the expert on. You're, you're a student and a critic of music. Um, that, would you say that creativity in the music world is, is the same as creativity in the literary world? Are there different kinds of creativity, or is it all that sort of, you just try to find a way to link the talent to the source? It, it really is. I mean, the language is different, is what's different. And then, you know, there are also you're dealing with the, you know, the composer as opposed to the performer, and both of them are extremely important, and, and, and in both cases, you know, you, you listen to a lot of 18th century music, become very popular these days, early, so-called early music, and it's all kind of pretty, and all very listenable and pleasant, and then there's Mozart and Haydn and Beethoven. <laughs> and they are taking their, the material that they're surrounded by and producing something that nobody, none of their other contemporaries could possibly do on a le level of depth and insight and, and memorable walk out of the concert hall humming a few bars, although that's harder to do now, but you can still have, I mean, there's still these, you know, more challenging and difficult compo atonal composers and who still create powerful music that sounds a little bit like all the, th the stuff that everyone else is doing, but has obviously gone beyond that in some way. And this is also true of the performer, and that I, I've just been listening to um, a, uh, a big box set of live opera recordings made by Maria Callas. The kind of insight into what she's singing about and how to shape a musical phrase rather than just singing the notes or just singing the words, which is, you know, there are a lot of good singers in the world and they make really nice sounds and they're not moving and they're not very interesting. And then you get someone like Callas who is devastating and you know that every syllable, not only every syllable, but every note actually means something and it's connected to not only what the words mean, but to the feeling, to the feeling behind it. And, there's, it, and it's, it's kind of inspiration, but it's creative in the, the deepest possible way. Actors, you know, we know a great actor when we, when we see a, a movie uh, or play.
All right. Now, I had a discussion with my 13-year-old son the other day, and I'm going to ask you to weigh in on this, Lloyd. Uh, my son, Jack, was arguing that uh, the singer-songwriter artist, you know, someone who writes his or her own stuff, is inherently more creative and, I guess, better than the performer who just performs but doesn't write. I mean, it's an interesting pay take. I, I personally don't agree with it, but I'd be interested, interested to get your take on it. In one way, I do agree because it's multitasking and I can certainly, you know, rattle off a handful of, of names of, uh, you know, say even in popular music, uh, of people who are as talented in their performance as they are in their composition. But I don't think it's necessarily the case. I mean, Maria Callas didn't write operas. She just sang them. Or, you know, Toscanini didn't write symphonies. He conducted them. And they were as creative as it's possible to be in the world. And the, one of my favorite kind of historic pianists uh, was a pianist named Arthur Schnabel, who died in the early 50s and who was the first person to record all of Beethoven's sonatas. And they're still better than anyone else's. They're more moving, they're more interesting. And he tried to be a composer. And as a composer, he sounded like Schoenberg. You know, he was an avant-garde composer. He wasn't an avant-garde pianist. But he sounded like a lot of his contemporaries and not as memorable. He wasn't the great musician because he also wrote his own music. It was not bad, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to identify it if you just heard it and you think, well, who wrote that? And, I don't know, someone in 1927, and I don't know, it sounds like music that was being written then. But you listen to, you know, a few bars of a Schnabel recording of Beethoven or Schubert, and you know instantly that it's Schnabel. And his great creativity, his greatness as, a, as an artist was in his ability to respond to something that had already been created, that had already been written. So uh, yeah, yes and no. Lloyd, I don't want to take up uh, you know, too much more of your time, but I did want to toss out one, one other idea here. Uh, an art form that's really sort of a fusion of music and poetry is rap. Uh, how do you feel about rap or hip-hop hip -hop in general? My students challenge me about that, and I have some opinions about it. I mean, what, what strikes me as so interesting about rap music is that the words seem more, that the, the rappers seem more interested in the words than in the music. The music seems very conventional to me, and I don't listen to a lot of it. I'm partly, I'm just busy listening to a lot of other things. But in some way, the music itself hasn't grabbed me enough to make me want to stop everything and then submerge in that form. And, and I haven't, so I don't feel very knowledgeable, but I think what I hear on the radio or what I hear in passing doesn't, doesn't grab me uh, a whole lot, and that maybe the words do, but I, sometimes I have a hard time hearing the words in, in the performance. 
my fear is that a lot of the rap lyrics are becoming repetitive, are becoming the same, are the same subject over and over again. And, and maybe I'm just missing the really inspired writers, but I'm, I, I haven't been exposed to it and I haven't gone out of my way to make myself more open to it. And, and, I, and I regret that. Uh, maybe if I just end, uh, you know, by asking you uh, a simple question, I guess, you know, what advice would you give to an inspiring writer who's searching for his or her creative muse? Well, first of all, do what you feel is the most personal thing to you. And if you're really lucky, there will be someone in your life, a friend, a teacher, a family member, someone who cares about you and who cares about you enough to tell you the truth about what you're doing and not to be discouraged by, you know, there's negative criticism and there's helpful negative criticism. You know, this doesn't work, try this. Teachers are supposed to be equipped to, to do that. But if you're really serious, if you really care about being good at what you do, it's sometimes more valuable to find out what doesn't work than, 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 what, than what does, and that people who are telling you, oh, that's really nice, that's really terrific, dear, <laughs> that, isn't, that isn't so helpful. I think, you know, you can be negative in the wrong way, and that can be very discouraging. But if you can be, find someone, I mean, certainly my, I've gotten more out of my friends who write poetry who are absolutely honest with me, I think they're absolutely honest with me because they're willing to tell me what they don't, you know, what, what they don't think is good or what they don't think is working. And I think I've gotten more out of responding to the people I admire who are honest with me than, you know, than from, from anyone, you know, giving me a good review, but not putting down good reviews. But something like that, really try to figure out what it is you have to say that nobody else is saying. And you know, sometimes that doesn't hit you until you're 30, 40, <laughs> or older. And, um, but if you care enough, you know, you don't stop. Well, this has been terrific, Lloyd. I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to, uh, to join us and to to bestow your wisdom upon us today. Um, that wraps it up for this episode of Dig Deeper, uh, Mind Edge Learning's uh, very occasional podcast on um, critical thinking and creativity in the digital age. Uh, and we will be back uh, in roughly a month with another installment and another scintillating guest.